Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Okay, guys, I am super excited for you to listen to this conversation. It is absolutely amazing. Our guest today is Jackie from the Jackie Daily Show. It's a weekly show, actually, right here on The Blaze. And she talks about energy and oil and climate change and environmentalism and all of this stuff. She can talk about a a ton of other things, but this is her beat. And she is an expert at explaining the ins and outs and all of it of of all of it. And uh, just a a fun little tidbit about her. So when I started at The Blaze, it was called The Blaze then, now it's Blaze TV. But when I started at The Blaze at the beginning of 2017, I don't even remember how exactly I got connected to her. But I knew that she worked at The Blaze. Someone connected us and she was nice enough to meet with me. I hadn't even started really in any of this. I had a little blog. Of course, she had never heard of it. It was called The Conservative Millennial. But she agreed to meet with me at her office and she just asked me what I wanted to do. Um, And she gave me, I remember, that day so much encouragement she affirmed that she felt like I was a you know a good communicator that I could do the things that I wanted to do she doesn't even realize that the encouragement that she gave me and nobody that day it really did give me a lot of confidence to pursue what I want to do and now here we are five years later and she is on relatable on Blaze TV. And so Jackie is a big part of me doing what I do now. And she's just such a such a sweet lady, in addition to being a very knowledgeable and it's a successful person. And so you're going to love, love, love this conversation and you're going to get a lot out of it. So without further ado, here is our friend Jackie. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, first, let's start with the basics. Why are gas prices so high right now? Okay, so gasoline is uh, derived from oil. It is an oil product. And so when the price of oil goes up, the price of gasoline goes up all the time. No exception. And so when you have, for example, a war, although uh, this started long before the war, but I'll, I'll just say this first. Anytime uh, there is a war, typically commodities prices shoot through the roof. Mm-hmm. Oil and gas, wheat, soy, corn. So what's happening now is piling on hard to the problems we already had, which were pretty difficult to describe and complex, but I'll try. Basically, um, there are major oil producers in the world, only three, uh, basically Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the US. After the fracking revolution, we're back to being a top or the top producer at at good prices. Um, There are lots of other countries that produce. But the bottom line is there's demand. How much does the world need at any given moment? And then there's supply. How much can those suppliers put onto the market to meet that demand? If the supply is low, you have to pay more because there's less of it. If the supply is high, you pay less because you're flooded in it. So this is how gas prices work, generally speaking. Um, Most recently... The COVID shutdown was artificially suppressing demand 
People weren't driving. Businesses weren't open. So all of a sudden, the demand for oil tanked. Mm. Because of that, a lot of U.S. oil and gas companies went bankrupt. They could not survive this artificial... uh, It wasn't COVID that did it. It was COVID policy. It was a shutdown. Uh, Probably very ill-advised for as long as it went on. But the point is that now you have less producers in the U.S., which is the top producer of oil. So that oil is missing. We don't have it for starters. Then with a war, typically throughout my lifetime and yours and and even our grandparents, at least since the advent of OPEC in the 60s. And what's OPEC? Uh, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, many countries in that category of, you know, petrostate, dictatorship, doesn't share our values, mm-hmm. often hostile to mm-hmm. this country. So we can't rely on them to give us oil and gas, even though they control about 70% of the supply. They're a cartel. Mm. Um, so in the 60s, they all came together to form the cartel. And from that time forward, um, if you wanted to spike the price of oil, so you're one of those countries, you can't meet your budget, you need revenues, you want to line your pocket, dictator, all you have to do is start a war. So when you knock off production in another oil-producing country, Iraq, Syria, Iran, wherever, Nigeria, Libya, wherever you can gin up a problem, civil strife or war, and knock them off production, supply comes off, prices go up. Mm. So for all of our lives, people like Russia uh, leaders and, and, and OPEC leaders have had an incentive to gin up warfare. That's how they make money. That's how they get the price of oil to go up. And this went on until the fracking revolution in the U.S. So for the first time, so much of our existing oil and gas in this country, which was always there, trapped in rock, in shell rock, uh, was, was viable economically. We could get it out of the rock economically because of new technology that hit really big. Um, it's been around for a while, but it really hit its stride in about 2012 or 2014. So all of the American oil patch came alive again from, you know, has been dead since the 80s, mostly. Um, Another story, but I don't have time for it. But basically, um, this is why all this money and all these people poured into the U.S. oil patch to boost our production, taking us from about 5 million barrels a day um, 15 years ago to about 10 to 11 on a good day. And some people say we get up to 15. That's enough to replace a Russia. But what was important was it was putting so much oil on the market, the price was coming down, 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 down in all these petrostates and people like Putin are going broke. Mm. So when the price of oil goes from $100 a barrel down to 26, right. as it did in 2016, that is Russia facing state failure. They cannot make their budget. It's the majority of their budget, the majority of their revenues, mm. and even more so for the Gulf states. So. This is a crisis for the U.S. oil production is a crisis and they'll do anything they can to destroy it, which is why Russia funds our green movement to fight our pipelines, to fight our fracking. They do the same in uh, Europe, according to the NATO leader Rasmussen. Um, Hillary Clinton said this when she was in the State Department. She like constantly is what we're up against. The Russians, you know, fracking bad, pipelines bad, and we can't get anything done. So Hillary's not really a green 
You know, she's not really a green movement yes. person. I'm not sure if any of these people really are. It's hard for yeah. me to believe that they're honest about it. Many of them are not. Many of them are grifters. There's mm-hmm. big money to be made because in the green movement, they dangle this carrot of $2 trillion will be redistributed to green technology. So in D.C., when I was there for seven years on Capitol Hill, everyone and their brother was forming a solar company, a defense contracting company, a wind mm. company to get in line for that. So this is why the West is on board. It's the promise of massive money. And then this massive PR campaign, a lot of the money coming from overseas, from our competitors. They're putting the money in to take out their number one competitor, which is U.S. oil and gas producers. And the reason they have to do this is activism only works in a free country where there's freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom to assemble and protest. um, and, and, And you can vote in what should be real elections to put your favorite candidate in. This kind of activism doesn't work in Riyadh, in Moscow, in China, in Tehran. Right. They couldn't care less. They're going to do what's best for their countries economically to be superpowers. They don't care what the Sierra Club thinks, but they'll sure send them money to battle us. So um, we're, we're unique in all the world because in this country, our president does not dictate our oil and gas production. It's not up to him. We are the only country where the individual property land or owners, uh, landowners own the mineral estate or the oil and gas beneath their feet. Mm. So literally millions of Americans own our oil and gas, whereas you know, Putin and, and the Russian government owns Russian oil and gas. Right. The House of Saud owns Saudi Arabian oil, oil and gas. There are these families that just are at the top. And that is it. But in this country, not only do we own what is beneath our feet, so it's up to us whether to produce it or not, but then you have millions, tens of millions of Americans who are invested in it. So pension funds, um, you know, mutual funds, ETFs, chances are we're all, if if you're invested at all, chances are very high. You're invested in oil and gas and you kind of own a part of that because you own equity in those companies and Exxon or Chevron or Continental or Apache or the thousands of American companies that produce oil and gas. We think of the big seven, uh, which is Exxon and BP and Shell, but they actually don't produce the majority of our oil and gas. It's a bunch of mom and pop shops. Um, I go to the conferences, thousands of companies that produce oil and gas. And so, and Biden can't control them. But what he can do is regulate them out of existence. Mm. And he's done that to the best of his ability. There's no more polarized issue in this country than climate, right? which is energy, which is oil and gas, not race, not abortion, not the border, hmm. no, climate. So you tell me what you believe about, you know, is climate change an existential threat for which you should hand over all of your paycheck to the government and forfeit our sovereignty to a world body to solve it? If you believe that, I know who you're voting for. If you don't believe that, I know who you're voting for. It's a very clear... Um, you know, cut distinction. Distinction. Yeah. So um, uh, the point is that Biden can be blamed and should be blamed for what's happening because his his policies reversed all the Trump policies, which right. were be as 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 uh, hit the accelerator as hard as we can by pulling the EPA off of these companies. Pulling that's what the, Trump was. That's what yeah, Trump was doing. Yeah, that was what Trump was doing. Like. His EPA, his Fish and Wildlife Service were being serious about getting these phony um, endangered species uh, 
actions, whether regulatory right. or in the courts, off of people. Because if they if they say there's an endangered lizard in the biggest oil field in Texas, what they're trying to do is stop the oil production in the biggest oil field mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. That's what's really going on. No one cares about that lizard until they can find it on top of our oil patch, and then someone, probably funded by a foreign government, is uh, you know in an NGO or nonprofit suing inside the government to take all this production offline. Just to give people another example, I remember talking to some people in Bakersfield, California, because of the Delta smelt, to your point, a really small, tiny fish in the body of water that they needed to use to water their crops. Uh, They weren't able to use this body of water anymore, which actually had a huge economic impact and supply impact on California because of environmental agencies saying, no, we need to protect this one fish. So sorry, you can't use this water to uh, water your crop. So just to your point, that is absolutely happening. That's what the EPA is doing. And you're saying Trump tried to tried to hold that back a little bit, dial that back. His appointees tried to dismiss these actions, these enforcement actions, these lawsuits, and there are a thousand and one ways to do it. It's like there's also, oh, there's a wetland on this oil patch. Somebody found a wetland, boom, off production. Or um, the, the Obama administration tried to expand the definition of waters of the United States, which is a way to expand federal mm-hmm. jurisdiction, by saying that a, 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 a mud puddle in your property that fills up with water during the rainy season is a navigable water of the United States that they could regulate. It's a thousand and one tricks. I mean, it's going on constantly across tens of thousands of bureaucrats and the federal agencies to try to destroy any U.S. oil and gas production in the name of climate change, and they have a a thousand tricks. So the Trump administration tried to roll all that back, and that, that wasn't really seen much in public. And then the biggest threat I think that's happened is no longer the frack bans like you see in New York State or the pipeline protests, like just the Keystone being one of many. Um, The big threat is called ESG, investment criteria. Oh, we know all about ESG on this show. Okay, good. So so many people don't. Yes. And um, I went to Washington in uh, in 2020 because I used to go to the White House and have some meetings uh, as part of a team and people didn't know what it was in 2020. So this is how quick and how new um, I mean, it's, it's an old idea, but it's really hit its stride in the last couple of years. And the idea is um, environmental social governance is ESG criteria. Basically, it's like a Chinese social credit score. Mm-hmm. It's a wokeness score on a corporation. Is it woke enough? And of course, oil and gas is like zero yeah. on the woke scale uh, because it's not green. So you're not environmentally sound. Therefore, um, the the bank or the financial institution will not lend you the millions that you need to go explore and develop your wells. So Hmm. as of like 2019, more than half of the financial institutions that back oil and gas production in this country swore them off and divested because, because of, of ESG. Low ESG scores. That's a, such a good, you know, we just, this will come out on Thursday. We just had yet another conversation on Tuesday about the Great Reset and all of that. This is a really good example for people to understand the consequences of an ESG score. Yeah. So, so why is your gas, why are your gas prices high? ESG has a lot to do with it. If you can't get any money in the oil patch, you can't operate. It's that simple. And we are a private sector oil generator, as opposed to like these, all these other countries are government. So we don't have any power to compel anyone to give us money to go produce. Our producers are ready to go. They would love to make money at these prices. I mean, there's never been a better time since 2008 was the last time to drill and and produce and make money. And some of them can't because they can't get the financing that they need. 
So that's being choked off. And, um, you know, when Donald Trump was president, he tried to say to the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Department of Labor, which governs where your pensions are invested and was implementing ESG to pull your pensions out of uh, oil and gas and coal and other things, firearms manufacturers and payday loan uh, lenders and all that. Um, you know, Trump said, no, we are not doing that. We're going to abide by the law, which says that um, you must look out for the returns of the retiree. You don't get to play politics with their money. What you have to care about when you're regulating is whether or not we're getting returns. So being diversified is important, including in energy. And so that reversed ESG uh, during the Trump administration inside the Department of Labor and inside other, there are many agencies actually this touches on. Yes. And then Biden immediately reversed that. So there are so many ways that are not seen uh, and not debated because Congress is like the theater, yeah, right? Congress is the so opera, it's the, it's the soap opera. It's the shiny object, but the real dirty work is done inside the agencies mm-hmm. by unelected mm-hmm. bureaucrats that you can't get rid of. Trump couldn't get rid of. They are the deep state. They are the C-level um, uh, appointees. They're just, they're there for life. They're committed. They're ideologues. It doesn't matter who's president. And we need some serious civil service reform to be able to fire those people. And one of the ideas for getting rid of this lot was moving all the federal agencies out of D.C. and into real America right. next to the problems they're supposed to be solving. Right. I said, let's send DHS to Nacogdoches, Arizona, right. the highest crime rate, you know, for border crime at the time, way back then. Yeah. Um, let DHS, uh, you know, people who like to do the D.C. cocktail parties go out to Nacogdoches and live in the center of the problems they're creating. So true. Yeah, or, or, you know, send them to Mino, North Dakota, average temperature negative seven yeah. or something. Some place that isn't sexy, some place that um, uh, gets them out of the, the Beltway bubble and into real America. And that would have forced a lot of retirements right there. So there are some things that the Biden administration has done, just kind of reiterating your point that people have questions about because there's a debate. Obviously, the Biden administration, I've seen some sources that they call themselves unbiased, but really they're liberal saying, you know, Biden has no control whatsoever over the price of gas. Um, There's nothing that the Biden administration could do at this point to lower the price of gas. The Keystone XL pipeline would have taken years to build. So that's not going to have an effect on it. Jen Psaki said um, she said recently, you know, there's there's plenty of leases right now. There are plenty of people who can start producing gas if they want to. And in fact, I think we have a clip where she basically belittles this idea that their administration could do anything to have an effect on this. So let's play that exchange if we can. Would President Biden ever undo his executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline? Are you suggesting that would solve the gas prices issue? Well, do you think that that would maybe affect prices faster than getting the whole country off of fossil fuels? I actually don't think it would. Uh, The Keystone uh, was not an oil field. It's a pipeline. Also, the oil is continuing to flow in just through other means. So it actually would have nothing to do with the current supply. So is that true? Is it true that the Biden administration basically has their hands tied and they can do nothing to help this situation? That's completely and totally false. So either she doesn't know what she's talking about um, or it's a bold brazen lie. I mean, I would say there's a very good chance 
She was an English major at William & Mary. She probably knows nothing about oil and gas. Yeah. So she gets a, a handful of talking points that, that say almost nothing. And she says almost nothing. Um, mm-hmm. you no, know, it's completely false. And so uh, if he had not on the day one of his administration blocked that pipeline, you know what? We might be really close to having it complete. And, and, and actually, if, if previous administrations like the Obama administration hadn't spent six years shutting down these international pipelines from Canada to the U.S., they've been done years ago. There's no excuse for being in this position. This is not just the Biden administration. It's years of bad planning and bad policy kowtowing to a green movement that's not really green. And that's a, a different show. I could do a whole show on that. Um, but most of the people are well-intentioned, but this just doesn't work. Um, she, her her, her uh, defense of the State of the Union address contrasts sharply with what she just said. She said, we're putting up 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations um, by 2030. Right. Okay. We, we have 2 million miles of pipeline in this country, and we can have a whole lot more if only they would get out of the way at yeah. the federal level. Uh, and the states are a problem, too, sometimes. But the point is, she thinks 2030 and charging stations are a, are a solution for right. a problem that we could fix so fast. We need What we need right now is about $15 billion pumped into the oil pouch immediately in investment. And we could get our levels um, by the end of the year back up to about 2019 levels before the shutdown. Um, so it, it can't happen overnight. I mean, it's, it's easy to shut down a well and say, we're not making money or whatever's going on. Let's just pause. But to ramp it back up, get the team back up, get the money, have the certainty, have the infrastructure, which is pipelines, to get your product from where you are to where it needs to be timely without shutdowns from activists protesting or whatever that you can't predict. The political risk in this country is crazy for people in oil and gas. It's a big gamble because these are high investment dollars uh, going in. Um, there are a thousand things that they could be doing. And to pretend, uh, I mean, she probably doesn't know any better. Yeah. I just think Jen Psaki doesn't know what she's talking about. More, yeah. I'd say that before I would say she's intentionally lying to you. She probably has no idea what she's saying. Yeah. I want to play you this short clip. Speaking of just completely nonsensical solutions of Pete Buttigieg, we also played it on Tuesday, him suggesting, well, why don't people just buy electric cars? That'll solve this problem. Here he is. Last month, we announced a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so that people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. Is that a solution to high gas prices? This drives me crazy. Um, so much is wrong with that statement from start to finish. Number one, we don't have time to build out all this stuff. We need to use what we have right now in place already for the immediate crisis. Does he understand there's a war going on that could quickly I- explode into something much bigger? Does yeah, he understand more ways it? than one. We don't have time for this. Second, he clearly doesn't understand that electric vehicles are made from oil. <laughs> Every piece of them are made from oil. The fiberglass, the paint, the battery, everything mm-hmm. is made from oil. Moreover, I mean, the battery components themselves are made of rare earth elements, the supply chain of which is controlled by China. He's giving more supply chain control to China, and the Germans are doing the same. Right now, they're doubling down in the middle of this war, like, oh, this is a great time to build more solar and more electric vehicles. No, because they're, they're like, you know, we control our solar. You know, Russia controls the natural gas. They have the gas. We control the solar. No, you don't. China controls the solar and the electric vehicles. And by the way, Germany is sitting on top of a sea of natural gas that they refuse to frack because the green movement succeeded in getting them to commit suicide and become 
totally dependent on the Russians. And that's what's happening here too. Yeah, which is disgusting. It, it's, it, there's no excuse for this. And by the way, Buttigieg, um, the, the electric vehicle runs on electricity. Has he stopped to ask, what is electricity made from in this country? In some countries, it's made of oil, not this one. It's made of natural gas, which is also a hydrocarbon, same as oil. It's made from coal. Those are the two biggest contributors. A, a, a electric-powered vehicle is a fine thing, but it's a coal-powered vehicle. It's a natural gas-powered vehicle. Those are hydrocarbons just like oil. They're fossil fuels. They're, they're oil, gas, and liquid forms of the same thing. Um, now, natural gas burns cleaner. That's true. Um, but also, it's a nuclear-powered vehicle. Um, less, than, less than 10% of this country's energy, electricity, comes from wind and solar after all these tens of billions of dollars that you've paid in your tax bill and your electric bill to subsidize it. And it only works a third of the time in good times. In bad times, like the Texas freeze, wind collapsed to 1.5% of its capacity. Complete no-show when you need it most. That is the hallmark signature trait of wind and solar. If there's a hurricane, oh, sorry, we had to shut down the wind turbines so they don't get damaged. You don't get much sun uh, on a solar panel in, a, in the middle of a hurricane. You know, when you need them most is when they're absent. And, and uh, it's not dispatchable. It's not reliable. You can't store it as of yet. Someone will invent that someday, but we can't make plans based on what might happen someday. Right. 20 years from now. So is there any truth to what environmentalists say that oil and fracking is bad for the environment to people who are out there who are skeptics, say they think that they're environmentalists and they say, OK, well, Jackie, then what is the solution? OK, so we have to start with some assumptions. Uh, I would back up to the very first assumption that that climate change is an existential threat. OK, this is false. People call me a denier. That's ridiculous. I don't even know anyone who denies climate change. It's happening. It's happened since the beginning of time for as long as recorded history can tell us. It's natural. And we contribute. Uh, We exhale, in fact. Uh, Just exhaling contributes. Mm -hmm. Being alive contributes. Yeah. Uh, So we're the enemy, I suppose, in their eyes. But um, (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. That's another show. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But there's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, The really, really, really good news that no one's talking about um, except maybe Obama's former Deputy Secretary of Energy, uh, Steve Coonan, who wrote a book called Unsettled. He's amazing. Uh, get the book, Unsettled. Um, is this. I saw him give a presentation here in Dallas. Here's just one example. He said he took the top 27 climate models. People think there's one that's catastrophic. No, there are many, 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 many. He took the top 27, averaged them, and then compared what they had projected for the past 10 years to actual temperature rise. So how did the theory or the model compare to the actual? He found the models overshot warming by 45%. So we're 45% better off than the average model suggested. Now, I will tell you, I suspect the press only cites to the most extreme top five models, right? The worst case scenario, because that's what sells, is fanaticism and scaring people, if it believes it leads, and so if you took the top 5% and averaged them and compared them to the actuals, they're probably, I'm guessing, about 80% above what they said we would be. So the first issue is global warming is not anywhere near what we've been sold. Like, not even close. This is nothing that mankind cannot manage. We've got this. We've totally got this. This is not something to lose sleep over. 
This is not something to not have children over. Um, this is not something to wreck your economy and go back to living Amish over because that's but what to will be sign required. Your liberty away over because that's really kind of what's behind it. Not just the money, but also if people believe that they're in an existential crisis, and if you just give enough power to the government, just like in any other crisis, um, then they will be able to solve this for you and for future generations. People are going to be willing willing to do that. That is also why the press, why liberal politicians use the most extreme models to try to say we are in this existential crisis. Totally. They're, they're going to exploit this to the hilt and do everything they can to concentrate power uh, in Washington. So watch the politicians, right? There, there's kind of a divide in the country. One side does everything it can to concentrate power and money in the hands of a few in Washington, D.C., the other side does everything they can to decentralize power and money into the states and the local governments because it's less dangerous, right? Like nothing's more dangerous than government. Only government can draft you into a war and drop you into a triple canopy jungle or um, round you up and commit a genocide or um, take away your freedom under false pretenses and throw you in a cage for the rest of your life in a prison. I mean, government is very powerful. As Elon Musk said, it's the biggest corporation and has a monopoly on legal violence. So some of us are saying, wait a minute, how about we not hand over our money and our sovereignty and our rights to a handful of people who obviously don't know what they're doing and can't be trusted? Um, That's the American heritage. You don't trust the government. That's what it's all about. And so um, we don't have a problem that we can't handle. Absolutely, climate change is happening. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation. I enjoy it. But this is not, do not let fear be the driver. As soon as you get into the fear mode, thinking shuts down. It's proven. So don't Mm -hmm. let them do that to you. Um, become educated. I said, you know, there's so many great books out there, but I think Steve Coonan's is the best. Uh, I mentioned Unsettled because he holds three department chairs at NYU in physics. And um, I don't even know what all this guy's like a, a genius. And um, he's a Democrat and he just tells you the truth. Yeah. Don't be afraid. I just I know that we have to close out, but I know people are still wondering, like, why? Why does it seem like the Biden administration continually puts America last in different ways, but especially when it comes to this policy? You mentioned kind of in passing Putin funding environmentalists because it does put America last. It weakens America, makes us rely on these regimes, including Russia, for oil and gas. And here is the energy secretary under Biden basically admitting that what we're trying to do is get away from oil and gas altogether. We're working through we're working through an energy transition. And we've got to start by adding energy. And the reality is we have to take some time to get off of oil and gas. We recognize this. This is a transition. So basically, I think she's saying that these are these are transitional pains and we're just going to have to kind of be okay with us not relying on our domestic resources with prices going up. This is the way it's going to be. There was a another nominee under Biden saying that they want to bankrupt the oil and gas industry all in the name of climate change. What do you think about that? So this is fantasy. And um, I mean, any credible authority, whether it's the U.S. Energy Information Administration or whether it is the International Energy Agency, or the BP Statistical Review, or whatever you want to look at, says we're still going to be 80% dependent on fossil fuels in 2040. That is the reality. So there is no technology that can take its place. It is not physically possible with the technology we have now. Five years from now, I don't know what someone invents. 
But for now, it, there is not enough renewable energy in the world to even begin, even begin to make this transition they're talking about like it's happened, started 10 years ago. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start, but basically I, I saw a study that last year, according to the Energy Information Agency, all of our battery storage for wind and solar could run New York City for 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, get real. I mean, this is not the real world. And if we keep uh, restricting oil and gas to the third uh, or the undeveloped world, um, they will remain in abject poverty. I mean, they're, they're, they're never turning that around without oil and gas or coal or nuclear uh, as the reliable forms of energy. So you're just saying you're going to leave them in that condition and make us less wealthy or um, less secure and more open to our enemies. There, This is... The world demand for oil goes up every single year, as I've been saying on my show for years and years. This doesn't change for as long as population continues to grow and as long as the populations that already exist demand a more modernized and motorized life as time goes on, like in China, especially, or in India, which are both have more than a billion people. We need more, far more oil and gas and coal and nuclear, not less, which is why the Chinese, are, they have the smartest energy policy on earth, okay? They're still building coal plants, right? The second as we speak, they're still building um, natural gas, anything they can do, because they're not crazy. They're not going to starve their people because of these unproven or disproven um, theories of existential threat from climate change. But they're also building the solar panels oh, sure. and the windmills because just make as much money as possible through whatever means possible is basically what they're doing. Especially when you monopolize the supply of the rare earth elements that are required to build it. Of course, you're going to promote it. Of course, yeah. you're going to build it. and You're going to go talk the talking points because why the heck not yeah. weaken the United right. States if you can? I mean, Man, the Chinese had the best energy policy. Seriously. And they go to the other four countries in South America. And as we've talked about before, and in Africa, they put these poor countries in debt traps. They say, you know, we'll make you an airway Ethiopia or a, a, a railway Ethiopia, but we want access to your natural resources. And so um, and then they are caught in this debt trap and then they have access to this oil in poor countries around the world while they are also helping convince and supply rich countries like the United States with this, with these green energy tools. Wow, what a racket. I can assure you there is no transition going on in China, India, Russia, OPEC, um, because they're too smart for that. They probably created this ESG stuff in the first place. In fact, some of the Gulf states for sure are behind some of the organizations that are pushing it out and destroying US oil and gas. I mean, so we can either open our eyes and live in the world of the real, deal in the world of the real um, or or not. And so the two administrations, and I'm not being partisan, I'm just telling you policy, Trump and Biden were polar opposites. Yeah. This is how we know Russia would never aid and abet Donald Trump in an election. That would be suicide. Yeah. That would be state failure. Right. Never in one million years. Biden's their guy. Burisma in Ukraine, the Chinese oil deal that the Bidens did, they're aiding and abetting foreign oil and gas and warring against our own. That's what they're doing. Yep, absolutely. Man, there's so much more I could ask you. Thank you so much for taking the Thanks time for the to explain all of this. You did it in very simple terms. I know there's a million more things that you could tell us. We'll have to have you back on at some point sure. to talk about just the farce that is the whole green energy, green 
movement. Um, I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much. Where can people find you just quickly? So I have the Jackie Daly Show, which is here on The Blaze. You can find it online. Um, It's on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, theblaze.com, forward slash radio, and on the dial here in Texas. And then uh, find me at Jackie Daly Host on Twitter. That's Jackie with no E. Daily is an everyday host. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. 